Hey sports fans, this is Aiden Rupert, and you are listening to another episode of the WCHC Sports Podcast, where we discuss the latest news and updates from Holy Cross Athletics and from the entire sports world. Our episodes are now available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and other streaming platforms. We will also be coming to Apple Podcasts soon, but in the meantime, we'll be coming to you with new episodes twice every week. Catch me and Rob Murray on Wednesdays and the rest of the WCHC Sports crew every Friday to stay up to date with sports, both on and away from Mount St. James. So once again, this is Aiden Rupert. Alongside me is Rob Murray coming to you on Tuesday, February 16th, 2021 with another episode of the WCHC Sports Podcast. Today, Rob and I are going to be talking a lot of NBA. We have sort of been ignoring our uh, our fellows in the major leagues for a while now, talking about Holy Cross athletics, among some other sports, such as the Super Bowl, a week or two back. So we're going to be talking lots of NBA. Uh, equally as important, Rob, we have five WCHC sports broadcasts coming up in the next several days. This is monumentous for WCHC sports. It's a big deal, and I'm really excited that we're getting a bunch of guys on the call uh, across these next couple of games. I've had a really great time calling basketball games with you and a few other members of our crew in the near future, but uh, tell us about what games we have coming up and where fans can get them and what they should expect out of our Crusader teams this next week. Yeah, so always want to plug the games on the podcast if you haven't caught on to that just yet. So we've got a lot of basketball and a lot of hockey over the next several days. Both of those sports, they are wrapping up their respective seasons. We've got some playoff action coming to you soon with the Patriot League tournament on the basketball side of things. We'll see where men's hockey specifically stands. They've been on pause for a little bit right now with some COVID issues among the team. Women's hockey, they are still continuing on, and we will have their broadcasts over the next few days. So getting into our schedule here, on the basketball side of things, uh, Art Gacy and I will be calling men's basketball against Boston University in a rare Wednesday night matchup. So that's going to be Wednesday the 17th at 5 p.m., After that, the women's team, they have a shot at BU. That will be Saturday at 2 p.m. Andrew Fiandella and I are going to be on the call for that one. And then, Rob, Sunday the 21st, we've got the Army Black Knights here at home for the men's team. You are going to be taking play-by-play role for that one alongside our buddy Patrick Grudberg. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Obviously a little nervous first time uh, getting the main call for a basketball game you've doing it flawlessly all year so I've got big shoes to fill but uh, it should be exciting obviously the men's team uh, plays a very fast-paced game as do many of their opponents and we'll see if I'll be able to keep up Uh, I'm excited either way size 14 shoes to fill specifically Rob just thought I would throw that out there but you will do great obviously it's been a pleasure working with you on the podcast all along and I gotta say you're a natural on the broadcast as well so I have no doubt that our basketball broadcasting crew will be in great hands on Sunday for men's basketball against the Army Black Knights. Meanwhile, on the hockey side of things, we have women's hockey in action on Friday and Saturday. We will be playing host to Maine. Um, Those games are going to be 6 p.m. Friday and 4.30 p.m. on Saturday. Evan Crum will be on the call with Art Gacy Saturday, and Jack Sandor will take things with JT Bergio 
on Saturday for that matchup with Maine. So if you look at that, Rob, that's five broadcasts over the span of five days. So big things to come for WCHC Sports alongside the WCHC Sports podcast. We're also going to have another podcast episode coming your way this Friday from Patrick Grudberg and his Hanselman crew. We know they love to talk sports maybe just as much as we do, Rob. They sure do. And we've got a lot of bases to cover over the next week. And if you're a fan of Holy Cross sports or sports in general, you're in good hands because well, a lot of content coming your way across the next seven days. But uh, let's kick things off, Aiden, with a little talk about the NBA. Like you said, we've kind of strayed from it the past few weeks uh, in the midst of us calling a lot of these games for Holy Cross, um, diving into the NFL playoffs, which are a phenomenon that only come around once a month, uh, each or one month a year, should I say, and uh, they're certainly a spectacle to see, but we've missed it out on a few weeks of the NBA season, and in the meantime, we've seen a few legitimate NBA MVP candidates emerge, and the first one I'd like to get to is the center, the joker, Nikola Jokic, from the exciting, the talented, but perhaps struggling thus far, Denver Nuggets. They sit at 15-11 and 11 in the Western Conference, best for 7th overall. And this is coming just one year after a 2020 Conference Finals appearance where they fell to the eventual champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. But Jokic, while his teammates may have been struggling this year, he has not missed a beat. He is actually on his way to a third straight All-NBA selection in his best, most efficient season in pretty much every statistical category. He's dropping 26.5 points a game, 11.5 rebounds, and 8.7 assists. Aiden, we could be looking at a guy who would become the first player to average a triple-double since Russell Westbrook. What would that mean for the league, and how would that look coming from a guy who is probably on the exact opposite of the spectrum in terms of athleticism when you compare him to a guy like Russell Westbrook. I mean, Nikola Jokic looks like me walking on, you know, to the YMCA court after having, you know, a Kimball chicken parm dinner where I had, you know, four or five pieces. What's what's going on with Jokic and how does he just make it work? Well, that's an apt comparison you make, Rob, in terms of uh, Jokic and his conditioning level. Though I will say, he obviously, um, he came back to the Orlando bubble a season ago looking trimmer than ever. And he put together a postseason performance for the ages, even though they ultimately came up short in those Western Conference Finals. Here's the thing with Jokic, and since we're talking MVPs, I have a feeling this is where this conversation is going to be steered. Um, A man by the name of Steph Curry, he's also going to enter into that conversation, and rightfully so. Um, Jokic, though, he's actually receiving a whole lot more hype when it comes to MVP discussions early on. And you mentioned the 15 and 11 start for the Denver Nuggets. You know, seventh seed in the West, that's typically not going to get it done in the MVP conversation, though I think that's exactly where the Thunder finished when Westbrook averaged his 30-point triple-double and took home the award back in 2017 or so. Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors are right behind the Nuggets in the standing at 15 and 13. So, If we're going to say that team success is going to be a knock on Steph, you definitely have to hold that true in talking about Jokic. But he is doing unbelievable things, Rob. I was doing a lot of scoreboard watching tonight as my also struggling Boston Celtics were actually playing host to Jokic and the Nuggets. Um, Boston could not stop Jokic. He ended the game with uh, 43 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. That game wrapped up just a few minutes ago. Fortunately for me, the Celtics were able to come out on top in that one, but 
43 points from Jokic. We saw just a week, week and a half ago or so, um, Nikola Jokic became the first player since 1975. Mr. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar put up 50 points and 10 assists in a game. And now Jokic, almost 50 years later, he becomes another big man to get it done all across the stat sheet like that. So getting back to your original question, in terms of Russell Westbrook, a lot of people accuse him of putting up empty stats. You know, I think that that argument's becoming more and more valid, seeing as he's nearly averaging a triple-double with the Wizards this season. He's at least averaging nine rebounds, nine assists, I want to say, and yet they're sort of the bottom dwellers of the Eastern Conference. It's just not leading to team success. Meanwhile, I think that some of the other pieces are maybe to blame for Denver's struggles so far this season. You know, your cousin Jamal Murray, he hasn't been great so far. Um, I, I have no doubt that he's going to start picking things up as the season gets closer and closer to playoff time. But Jokic has been ridiculous. I, I think that he deserves to be near the top of the ladder if we say we're also going to hold Steph Curry accountable despite the team's um, inability to win a lot of games as of late. Yeah, you covered a lot of bases there. Um, one question I actually was planning on asking that you did address is, can a guy who is on a team that's kind of in the back half of the conference win an MVP award just because given the history, we've seen guys like Giannis, Steph Curry, LeBron, Kevin Durant all win those awards and really take their respective teams to the top of the conference and, and put them in position to win a title. But I also liked your point about kind of the empty stats we see with Russell Westbrook and how that may not be the case for Jokic. And I think if you're a guy who uh, you know likes the numbers, likes making the analytical case for MVP, Jokic is your guy right now. He's leading the league in win shares at 5.7, and, and he's also leading the league in VORP, V-O-R-P, which is value over replacement player. I'm not going to get into the, the mathematical details of what that means. VORP? <laughs> But, um, and comparing to a guy like Westbrook, who, like you said, is putting up a similar stat line in terms of, you know, how close he is to a triple-double, Westbrook has negative 0.3 win shares this, thus far this season. So he's actually hurting the Wizards more than helping them despite putting up all those gaudy numbers. So, oh yeah, the, the comparison, Rob, wasn't to say Russell Westbrook deserves to be the MVP discussion this season. Oh, yeah. He's so far removed from it. It was more, you know, Jokic versus Westbrook of 2017 in terms of where that is. And like you said, the triple-double is something to watch on a nightly basis. So that's why I bring Westbrook up. Oh, uh, I knew that. And I, I liked the contrast you made because I think this season more than ever is kind of um, hurting Westbrook's legacy in terms of the guy who can do it all you know, all across the court, but may not be the best in terms of a winning formula. And I think Jokic is starting to take that narrative over and back it up with you know, that strong analytical case for the best player in the league. His team might be lagging a bit behind, but you know, Jokic seems to be doing it all. You mentioned Steph Curry. Let's go to him because he's another player I wanted to talk about. Like you said, Warriors also in the back end of the West struggling to generate offense outside of Steph Curry with obviously now a few years departed from Kevin Durant, the loss of Klay Thompson. Uh, Draymond Green certainly doesn't do you any favors on offense, even at full strength, as we've come to learn. But regardless, Curry aiming for his third MVP would become just the ninth player to do so all time. And I think this is the biggest year, perhaps, in terms of his legacy, even if it doesn't end in a championship, which it probably won't, for being realistic. He's got to answer the question, how well can he do in the absence of guys like Durant and Thompson? And this is the first time in five years, really since 
you know, the golden age, if you want to call it that, that Steph Curry's been a part of the MVP conversation since having his own team um, was really the last time that he won the MVP unanimously. So tell me what you think of Steph Curry so far. Do you agree with me that this might be his biggest season career-wise? And can he bring the Warriors back to the postseason after, I believe, having the worst record in the NBA last season? Yeah, I think the postseason's definitely a realistic aim for Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, and the Golden State Warriors. They have a a few things to overcome. They're missing James Wiseman for the time being. He's going to be out short-term with an injury, and, you know, he's a 19-year-old kid. You can't expect him to be an anchor for the team if they're going to be competitive in the Western Conference, but he has been very impressive so far. Um, Obviously, the Klay Thompson thing also feeds into what a big season this is for Steph Curry in terms of carrying a team. To their credit, though, I'm going to give props to two guys that have really flipped the script on their season, and those are two of their wing players, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. We talked in season one of the podcast just about how horrendous Kelly Oubre had been to start the season for the Warriors. He was something like, you know, one for 30 or something from downtown to start the year. Andrew Wiggins wasn't a whole lot better over the first handful of games, though he actually turned things around pretty quickly. So I, I... don't mind the supporting cast for the Warriors. Obviously, it's nowhere near where, you know, the team was when they were contending a few years back. But in terms of the MVP discussion, I want to bring up the narrative thing. And here's where I think things get interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Jokic, the narrative thing sort of remains to be seen on him. Um, We've seen in recent years, you know, with Giannis Antetokounmpo that MVP voters, they love these foreign-born players that are able to come in and dominate the National Basketball Association, which I love. Don't get me wrong. So I think Jokic has that working in his favor, although maybe, you know, the Giannis effect could lead to some people giving their votes to a LeBron James, someone more established in American basketball. Um, Or those votes could obviously go to Steph Curry as well. But in terms of narratives, here's where I stand right now. And I was actually texting my dad about this a week or two ago, Steph Curry has never espoused the much must-watch TV idea that he is right now. He's literally a must-watch player every single night. So during an eight-game sample during the month of February, he's averaging over 36 points per game. He's doing that on 49.5% three-point shooting at a ridiculous volume. There was one game the other night, he took 19 threes, hit 11 of his 19 attempts for 57 points. You know, obviously he had the 62-point outing just after the new year in January. So, you know, his supporting cast, they're good. And I want to get your thoughts on the players he's surrounded by too. But Steph Curry right now is just, there's no one like him in the NBA in terms of just pure watch value, the ability to explode on any given night. Obviously, Bradley Beal, we've been seeing a little bit of that from in the Eastern Conference, but, you know, he doesn't quite have the name recognition of a Stephen Curry, nor does he have maybe the 40-foot shooting of a Steph Curry. So I want to get what your take is on just how fun Steph Curry is to watch. It's it's honestly just beautiful. We didn't have that all of last season. I've, I missed Steph Curry, and I never thought I'd be saying that. Yeah, the, I think beautiful is a great word. I think that described that Warriors team throughout their reign as much as people wanted to see them lose and, and didn't like them, you had to admit it was beautiful basketball that is seldom replicated uh, no matter what team you come across. But about the MVP being a narrative-based award, I couldn't agree more. I think stats have some 
part to do with it. But you're right, Curry's can't miss basketball right now, um, especially given that he is really the only guy on his team. You mentioned Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. They've started to heat up a little bit. Wiggins is almost averaging 18 points a game. You even have Eric Paschal contributing double digits off the bench at 10 points a game, a guy from Villanova. But uh, one stat I did come across that I thought was very interesting, Steph Curry is the only guy to be averaging more than two threes a game on this Warriors team. He, he hits almost five a game, which is ridiculous. But the closest guy is Andrew Wiggins hitting just under two. So when you think of the Warriors, you think of you know all this flashing, flashy, high-volume scoring team. But in reality, they're around 20th in offensive rating in the NBA, which is which was shocking when I saw it. Um, and they're a better defensive team. They rank sixth in defensive rating in the league. So I agree that you know there must be TV when Curry's on the court. But you see when he's not there or he's not having a good night, they're they're close to unwatchable in my opinion. You saw it last year. They're they're really tough to get through if Steph Curry's not that guy on the floor. Uh, and, you know, I think the craziest part about it, this all is it's a lot like the early Steph Curry Warriors we saw when it was kind of him carrying the team, making them relevant. Except this time, he's 32 years old. And I, I, can't, I can't even fathom how quickly he's aged and how young he still looks putting up those ridiculous shots. He's maybe got, what, four or five prime years left, even less. It's... It's sad to see that this generation we grew up watching is, you know, as dumb as it sounds, getting older by the year. It's it's difficult. Yeah, but you, you said it best, Rob. Steph Curry's a guy, he's always going to look like he's straight out of college in terms of how he how he looks out there on TV and running around the court. Um, yeah, that's a ridiculous stat about just the defensive rating for the Golden State Warriors as opposed to their offensive output. Fortunately, however, Steph Curry, um, I'm just reading ESPN's game log here, he has not shot beneath 50% from the floor since a victory against the Minnesota Timberwolves on January the 27th. So almost coming up on a month now. And this is from a 6'3 guard. Obviously, we see big men in the NBA routinely put up 50% shooting um, or higher across the course of any given game. Steph Curry is not missing shots right now. It's absurd. Um, I mentioned just the 50% three-point shooting, essentially, he's putting forth in the month of February. So... You know, if you don't have a lot of time to watch basketball, um, I'm going to say it. You need to turn on Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Um, and like you said, Rob, who knows how many more years of prime Curry we have left. He's doing this all 32 years old, but it's must-see TV in every regard. And the Warriors, they're, they tend to be trending upward right now. I think they're going to find themselves in the postseason mix. Maybe not contending, but we're definitely here for the ride. Absolutely. He's, I think, the most exciting player this league has to offer right now. As long as he stays healthy, you could be seeing him hold that third piece of most valuable player hardware at the end of the season. 30.1 points per game, his career best since that unanimous MVP season back in 2015-16. I agree. He has him trending in the right spot, and if you get to the postseason and there's a hot Steph Curry waiting on the other end of the floor, I don't think you want to be any team in that position, but... Let's move on to our final candidate here. This guy comes from the Eastern Conference, and he comes from Philly. You might know him as The Process. It's Joel Embiid, averaging almost 30 points a game, Aiden. 10.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and chips in over a block and steal per game. We always knew Embiid could play defense. That was kind of his trade. But it wasn't until this season that his offense really took off, and who knows if this will hold. We're 
about 30 games through the 76ers season. Um, and again, uh, any season that is completed during COVID is going to come with some degree of scrutiny. But regardless, he's been nothing short of phenomenal. He's nearly 50 percentage points better from the free throw line, uh, shooting at 85%. Excuse me, 5 percentage points better. He's a little below 80% now. He's around 85 this season. Easily his best field goal percentage of his career, shooting 54% from the field and 40% from three. In seasons past, he was never above 49% from the field and 37% from three. So he's been taking the same amount of shots roughly per game, but hitting more of them. And if he can stay healthy, something he struggled with his whole career, I think him and Curry are probably one too. I, I hate to leave Jokic out of the conversation, but I think the big thing for me is Embiid has the narrative, and he also has his team in the best position. The Sixers sitting first in the East, and if history is any indication, that's a big deal when you look at MVP voting. So, what are your thoughts on the process, especially as a Celtics fan, as much as it pains you to watch how well he's playing? Well, it's it's tough. I'm I can't dodge that question. He absolutely torched the Celtics just a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, you know, he had 40 points in. I want to say back-to-back games, or at least he was approaching that mark. So in terms of a postseason matchup, that's something I'm not looking forward to if that's where we trend, even though the Celtics swept the Sixers without Ben Simmons in the first round last year. Um, I'm a little bit scared. Um, It's tough, just if I can just stray off of Embiid for one minute. This whole MVP race, you know, it's a lot more enticing than that we've seen in seasons past because we just talked about three guys, Jokic, Embiid, and Curry. We haven't even brought up LeBron James, and we haven't even brought up Kevin Durant, who's putting forth one of the best seasons of his entire career, and he's doing it off of torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. With, I think with two superstars alongside him, eating up minutes, shots, assists, yeah. whatever you want. And I think that's why eventually, you know, the the numbers might stray off slightly for Durant in favor of someone like a Jokic or an Embiid. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, enough credit can't go to. Um, Kevin Durant for the way he started this season and LeBron James you know it's also interesting he's gonna end up under normal circumstances splitting votes with Anthony Davis who a lot of people saw having a breakthrough season after what a strong playoff performance he had last year it hasn't necessarily happened for AD yet he's hovering around 22 23 points per game LeBron meanwhile his numbers are great as ever although I did find an interesting stat just a week or two ago it essentially tracks the miles traveled per game per NBA player and LeBron was dead last in the league in terms of miles traveled per game so wow. efficiency is the name of the game for LeBron being being able to conserve himself not only for the fourth quarter but playing the long game here you know once that regular season winds down Lakers maybe want to lock up and take that number one seed from the Utah Jazz who are surging um who we'll talk about at another point because they're playing ridiculous basketball right now, having won 19 of 20 games. Uh, but, you know, Joel Embiid, you know, I, I certainly don't fault your top three there, Jokic Embiid, Curry. Um, he just, he looks so much more comfortable. Not even comfortable, he just looks more confident. Com- confident. He knows yeah. that he's a better player. And I, I think you're, you're bringing up of LeBron. I think that was a nice way of saying he doesn't move a whole lot when the ball's not in his hands. <laughs> yeah. But we can talk about that another day. Um, some other guys that might be hovering around the conversation, Kawhi Leonard's having a really solid season. Um, I think he's happy to see that Paul George has kind of picked up the pace 
over the past few weeks. He's been phenomenal, actually. Um, it was really that first week that people were worrying if Pandemic P was still sticking oh, around. No. For the Playoff Clippers. P is back, Rob. I mean, Paul George has been ridiculous this yeah. season. We were talking about him like, no way he's making the All-Star team this year. <laughs> he's going to be an All-Star, and we should have our All-Star lineups relatively shortly. I, I want to say the starting lineups are going to come out um, any Thursday now, maybe this week or next. I think they usually do an Inside the NBA special on TNT. Yep. But I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, whether it's Embiid, Jokic, Curry, or others at the end of the season, it's definitely going to be a race to watch and an MVP race for the ages. Um, you know, that's, that's something we will follow throughout the course of the podcast. I'd also love to get your thoughts later on on where we are in terms of Rookie of the Year. LaMelo Ball is showing out ever since he was he's inserted been, into the starting lineup. He's insane. He's getting that sports center treatment, too. He's been all over oh, the yeah. highlight reel, and, and rightly so. He's had a phenomenal season. But um, And speaking of All-Star Game, get my guy Zach Levine at least on the reserves. The man deserves his respect. He got snubbed last year. I'm getting a creeping feeling that it might happen again, but I feel like he's just playing too well to be ignored. He dropped 30 the other night. Um, was clutch against the Pacers in a 120-112 overtime win. I don't think he'll crack the starting lineup just because, you know, you have your usual suspects like Kevin Durant, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving, Embiid, whoever you want to say it is. But I think the Nets are going to have three starters, Rob. They this could. Is, this and is Jalen Brown might take that fifth spot. He's been phenomenal as well. For we'll the Celtics. See. I think we're going to go Durant, Irving, Harden from the Nets, and I think you got to round that out with Embiid and Giannis. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would actually make the argument, um, I know a lot of people are going to say Bradley Beal, and maybe you're even going to say Zach Levine. I would say Jalen Brown, if not for the Harden trade, would have that starting two-guard spot mm-hmm. locked up in the All-Star game. And I know we want to talk about the Celtics here in a minute, or rather, you want to talk about the Celtics, and I want to avoid talking about them at all costs, just because before tonight they were really facing a lot of adversity. Um, but yeah. All-Star is going to be fun. A lot of the players, they've sort of been outspoken and saying the league should not be doing this right now. And I certainly do understand that perspective. Um, at the end of the day, we're basketball fans, so we're going to take what we can get in terms of an All-Star game. Hopefully we have a three-point contest and dunk contest thrown in there as well. Remains to be seen. Um, but the All-Star weekend has been locked into the schedule and will be coming up in about a month. That's right. And while we're on the topic of the NBA, in you just mentioned the Boston Celtics, despite a very solid win actually tonight, a 13-point victory over the scuffling Nuggets we talked about earlier. Something's going on with them. They're now 14 and 13. I believe leapfrogging. Who was above them? There was one. I'm blanking on the team. They've been neck and neck with Indiana. Indiana, for the next, that's right. Yeah. So they leapfrog them, I believe, to get into third place by half a game in the Eastern Conference. I talked about Jalen Brown having a career year, potential All Star starter, um, even the most, you know, even the biggest Jalen Brown fans. I know he was your favorite player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You you couldn't have expected growth like this, and obviously I'll throw in. Jason Tatum being brilliant as usual, but despite those two guys, it feels like one piece is missing. Who do you think it is, and if the Celtics don't end up making any moves at the deadline, can Brown's and Tatum's progress throughout these past few years kind of fill the gaps? Well, let me tell you, Rob, they had better make a move at the deadline this year, and I hate to be the one to say that because, you know, Celtics Twitter for lack of a better term, is an angry Twitter. We we tend to have the... I think Twitter is always angry. I don't know if it's sure. just reserved to the Celtics. Sure, that's fair. Go ahead. 
No, more or less, I mean, I'm not aboard the uh, the fire Brad Stevens, the fire Danny Ainge, the tra- even the trade Kemba Walker train right now, as so many of the Celtics fans seem to be turning to. I'm not really on board with all of those things. That said, however, the Celtics and Danny Ainge really do have a responsibility to do their due diligence in looking around and seeing what they can do around the trade deadline, which is also coming in about a month. Um, you talk about the offseason departure from this team. It was really a matter of losing Gordon Hayward in favor of uh, Tristan Thompson and Dan- uh, sorry Jeff Teague coming aboard. Jeff Teague has been garbage ever since the first night of the season where he had a really uh, uh, great performance. Ever since then, it's just not worked out. Tristan Thompson, you know, he was coming off an injury himself. And also, you know, he's still being integrated into his first new team since coming into the league in 2011 with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's not to be underestimated. Um, But those two, they are certainly not getting the job done in terms of where the Celtics want to be right now. Um, Now at 14 and 13 after the win against the Nuggets, you know, it's been disappointing. And I want to read off a stat real quick. This one courtesy of uh, Dan Greenberg of Barstool Sports. Essentially, Rob, the Celtics have played so many fewer minutes as a group than some of the other cores around the NBA. So talking about teams' intended starting lineup, so all injuries, COVID-related reasons aside, Philadelphia's played 245 minutes with their core five, Milwaukee 232, Brooklyn 72 minutes since that James Harden trade. The Celtics, meanwhile, they've played 21 minutes together this entire season, Um, talking, of course, about the lineup with uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, and the underrated ever underrated Daniel Tice, but they've played 21 minutes together on the season. Um, During those 21 minutes, albeit a small sample size, they have a 117 offensive rating with a 104.7 defensive rating for, of course, a 12.7 net rating. And, you know, for those less familiar with the advanced statistics on basketball, that is really quite good. So it has been a matter of health. Um, We also saw a report today it was a little bit concerning when I got the notification. It said Jason Tatum has, quote, had troubles breathing since coming back from his COVID absence. And I was like, whoa, what is this about? Um, he's perfectly fine. He's perfectly safe. It was more of a matter of his conditioning on the court. Uh, Jason Tatum does not appear to be, or his life does not appear to be in any immediate danger. Thank God. Um, But Kemba Walker, in terms of health, you know, he finally got out there on the court. The Celtics got off to an 8-3 start without him, and then a few games later he returns. Um, They lost 10 of 15 games coming into tonight, with Kemba Walker playing in most of those games. And, you know, I will reiterate, I am not on board the Kemba Walker uh, trade bandwagon. And frankly, I don't think the Celtics are going to get very much for him in return. you know, if anything, they're going to get a similarly similarly aging or injured player in return. So I think the option here is to use, this is sort of bringing my argument here full circle, the Gordon Hayward departure created a $28.5 million trade exception for the Celtics. So what that means for those unfamiliar with the salary cap situation and such, the Celtics are able to take on a salary in a trade that ordinarily they would not be able to take. So they can take some of those abnormally large contracts around the NBA. So we talk about the Andre Drummonds of the world, the Nikola Vukovics of the world um, from the Orlando Magic. A lot of Celtics fans also have their eye on John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks. He's really 
Um, taking a step back this season from where he was a year ago, but he still is a 20-10 and 10 guy, more or less. Um, the one concern with him is he's a um, he's going to be a restricted free agent coming up, so the Celtics would be risking losing him for nothing if he demands that kind of money in free agency. Um, Blake Griffin is another name. It's not going to be on the trade market. If anything, he, it's going to be a buyout, as the Pistons have essentially said that they're going to sit him until they can find a trade suitor, or they're going to reach terms with him to negotiate a buyout. I'm not quite on board the Blake Griffin thing anymore either. In 600-something minutes this season, Rob, Blake Griffin doesn't have a dunk. Just put wow. that in perspective. Yeah. You think of him as one of the premier dunkers of the last decade, maybe even in NBA history if you think back to him jumping over a Kia uh, back in the dunk contest uh, a number of years ago. But bringing up Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond's another guy who will be sitting out basically until he gets traded. That's kind of generated a sort of side buzz across from the normal happenings around the league. What do you, what do you have to say about that? For me, I, I don't know. Just as professionals and guys who are getting paid millions of dollars to play basketball, and you know, albeit in a pandemic when you know there are a lot of people who can't even work, it just doesn't seem. I know it's part of the business, and I guess there's an incentive to sitting guys like Griffin and Drummond, but to me, it just doesn't seem right. Basically, sitting a guy until you trade him. I, I just don't under, really understand the logic in that. I was hoping you could clear that up or maybe give your own opinion about it. It's something I grapple with a lot, quite honestly. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm someone I'm able to make a lot more sense of it when it's a player like a Blake Griffin, who's in his early 30s. Um, you know, he's getting up there in years, as opposed to a year and a half ago, we saw Anthony Davis essentially go on strike with the New Orleans Pelicans. That, to me, was a really bad look. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he thought that something within that organization was irreparable, and more or less, that was a player-instigated thing, according to most reports. It wasn't the team sitting down and saying, let's sit Anthony Davis, because, come on, what team would ever say, let's sit Anthony Davis? And the Drummond Griffin situations, at least to my knowledge, both seem to be kind of mutual. It's yeah. not really that Griffin and Drummond are disgruntled in their situations. I think both of them would enjoy and perhaps benefit from a change of scenery, but it, it it's really odd that you see a team do that. I think this is kind of the first time, at least in my fandom as a basketball fan, you know, that I've witnessed something like this. Yeah, and it was actually Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors. He actually made a lot of headlines today. Just last night in a post-game press conference, he had he took a really passionate stance about the NBA and its sort of double standard in the way they handle these things. You know, they say they expect the players to do so much to abide by the terms of their contract under all circumstances, but then when you see these things where teams are saying, let's sit out Andre Drummond, maybe to a lesser extent Blake Griffin, because that one is... You know, that's as mutual as it gets. Clearly, Blake Griffin is just not working out for the team, nor is the team working out for Griffin. Um, But no, Draymond Green essentially went on a three-minute tirade um, about Andre Drummond and the league's handling of the Cavaliers and their decision to sit him down. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those issues that can't quite be won because more now than ever, players' health is at the forefront of any discussion we're having. You know... Even 10 years ago, we're hardly talking about the risk of players being injured and entering a contract year. 
Um, it's just been at the forefront of everyone's mind, not wanting to have any kind of risk. I'm sure maybe even the pandemic has to play a role into things and players not necessarily wanting to travel with the teams in certain situations if they're not going to you know, get meaningful minutes on a team they want to be on. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's not surprising that it's coming from Draymond. I know he's been very outspoken about a lot of different things when it comes to league matters. Um, but when I think of Draymond, you know, he's not the most talented guy, but I think he's definitely a guy in the league who you can say has one of the highest, if not the highest, motor in terms of when he's on the court. You never see him taking a possession off. Uh, and, you know, he's really a Swiss Army knife on the court for the Warriors. And I do find it interesting that the guy who kind of you associate with you know, mental, physical toughness, not really giving up on any play, come out and criticize something that's really in, on the complete opposite of the spectrum, sitting in anticipation for a trade and not playing out the games necessary for your team as an NBA player. I, I think it was predictable, but, you know, what is in this year? Uh, but it, it is very interesting. and I'll, I'll be interested to see if the Cavaliers or the Pistons with Blake Griffin, correct? Um, they respond to that in any way. Yeah, just to circle back to finish our discussion on the Celtics here, I know we got a little bit off track in talking about Draymond and player empowerment and all of that. Right. Uh, one of the players Draymond Green actually brought up is somebody I wanted to talk about within the context of the Celtics, and that's Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes, Rob, you might recall, just a few years ago, he essentially found out that he had been traded from the Dallas Mavericks to the Sacramento Kings mid-game. So he played in the first quarter or two of the Mavs game one night, again, a few years back, and then set up the second half. And there was a graphic displayed on the Dallas sportscast, Harrison Barnes forward, traded to the Sacramento Kings, according to reports. So it was a wild situation that I remember keeping up with at the time. Um, I'm not quite sure the last time that we had a player literally be traded mid-game after suiting up for a team. Usually, you know, there if there are rumblings of a player being involved in a deal, they're going to end up sitting out that night, but that was not the case with Harrison Barnes. And so Draymond brought that up to say, we, we have players like Harrison Barnes, you know, playing their heart out on the court only for a team to go and trade them mid-game. Um, but that said, I would love for Harrison Barnes to be dealt from the Sacramento Kings to the Boston Celtics mid-game. Um, to me, he is a player that a lot of people are going to perceive as somewhat redundant for this team. Um, a lot of people are looking at, again, the big men, the Miles Turners, the John Collins, the Drummonds. I really like Harrison Barnes, and I've kept up with him fairly well ever since his days in Golden State, where he was part of that 73-win team. He has become a really com complete player. He's rounding out nearly every weakness of his game and I think that he has the versatility to play the power forward for the Boston Celtics and if you talk about a wing tandem of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Harrison Barnes at your two, three, and four, that's defensive efficiency and offensive firepower combined. So Harrison Barnes, you know, if I can just get a read on the numbers for him this season. I know he's... I got him up right now. Yeah, what do you got for me? I'm going to read him off. He's averaging close to 16 points a game, grabs... A little over six rebounds, dishes out three assists per game, shooting about a 48% clip from the field, 39-ish percent from three, um, plays about 35 minutes a game. So you, you said it best. He's a very well-rounded player. He seems like he doesn't have any glaring weakness to his game. I don't have any defensive stats pulled up, but 
Uh, I remember from you know his days back in Sacramento and even Golden State and Dallas, him being a pretty reliable defender. And I, I like that you brought up playing him at the power forward, Aiden, because he's 6'8", 225, so he's by no means a small player. And in the days of small ball and in the NBA, you can get away here and there with a bit of a smaller lineup. You see the Brooklyn Nets playing Kevin Durant at the five some games. Granted, that comes from you know lack of depth, but you know regardless, they're still winning games. So I think Harrison Barnes is a guy who flies under the radar a lot just because he's not a flashy name. He plays for probably the least flashiest team in the association in the Sacramento Kings. Um, but I, I like the fit, and sometimes for, for teams like the Celtics, it takes one change. It takes one guy to come into the locker room and change the whole dynamic of how that team plays night to night, and who knows, we could be seeing the 2020 Boston Celtics back in action if, if they decide to go through with some of these moves. Yeah, I think it's got to happen if you're Danny Ainge. I mean, obviously, Harrison Barnes is my own personal preference in terms of where I think he fits with the team. It also works logistically. You know, he's he's 27, sorry, 28 years old now, but he is on a team-friendly contract through 2023, making just about $21.5 um, per year. He's actually on a declining base salary, meaning the older he gets and the further into that contract, the smaller the percentage of your team's salary cap he is going to take up. So that's what I mean by team-friendly. Additionally, he simply does not fit the timeline of the Sacramento Kings, led by De'Aaron Fox, as well as they're trying to bring up players like Bagley, like Tyrese Halliburton, who's having a great rookie year. So the Kings are 12-15 and 15 right now. I would say they're far from implosion because they are certainly watchable. They're, they have Buddy Heald, too. Yeah, they do have Buddy Heald, so they have some pieces there. Um, but they're not competing in the Western Conference this year, so I think they're a team that, you know, Danny Ainge could potentially entice with some of his young assets, maybe a Romeo Langford or, you know, I, as much as I don't want to trade a Peyton Pritchard, someone like Peyton Pritchard uh, might be enough to get the deal done, as, as well as the Celtics um, draft picks. They still have a couple of picks left in the treasure chest that they would be hopefully willing to deal moving forward. That's right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a guy like Danny Ainge is somebody who's not afraid to pull the trigger if you know, a trigger needs to be pulled and uh, in, in bringing in the right guy. But I do like to harken back to your point about how little time the main Celtics starters have gotten together. I think they're only going to get better with time. And I think what you saw tonight against the Nuggets was a glimpse of how good this, this Celtics team can be. Um, you know, 21 minutes is not even a half of basketball that these guys have played together in. You said their offensive and defensive rating would rank near the top of the NBA uh, if you know they got normal minutes together. So I don't think it's time necessarily to hit the panic button if you're a Celtics fan, but in a shortened season like this and getting off to a, a sub-500 start about 24, 25 games through, um, if I'm Danny H, I definitely would consider making a move at this point, even if you, know, if you were playing a full season, things might even out as you get to 82 games. Yeah, that's true. We are over a third of the way through for the Celtics, however, and Danny Ainge, just to sort of wrap things up here, he actually did shoulder a lot of the blame. He said that it's on Brad and it's on the players to just play harder and coach harder, um, stay motivated, but he did say um, something to the something of the nature of, you know, I, I'm the one who put these guys together. I need to look at any and all approaches to bettering the teams. And he is someone that just about every year of his tenure as the GM is the Boston Celtics, he has made a trade at one point or another. And a lot of the critique of him has been 
he's never really been the guy to pull that big splash, like make those gutsy moves. Yeah. I, I would say that, you know, Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving is certainly a gutsy move coming off of a conference finals appearance. Um, but in terms of the Jimmy Butler availability, Anthony Davis, those are the ones that I alluded to Celtics Twitter a little bit earlier. Those are the ones that just get them angry and saying Danny Ainge needs to step up and make these moves. That is right. And that'll about wrap things up for episode two of season two of the WCHC Sports Podcast. Andy, you want to run through real quick one more time just what this week's schedule looks like in terms of what games will be broadcasting, who will be on the call, etc. Of course, yeah, we talked a lot of NBA and talked a lot about the Celtics because, you know, New Englanders, they love their New England teams. Um, but WCHC Sports, we will be broadcasting, of course, Holy Cross Athletics this coming weekend. As well as tomorrow night, actually, we've got men's basketball playing host to Boston University at 5 p.m. This Saturday, women's basketball takes on BU at 2 p.m., the following day, Sunday, we've got Army Black Knights visiting the men's basketball team at 2 p.m. On the hockey side of things, we've got a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. We are hosting uh, Maine at 6 p.m. and 4.30, respectively. And all games will be available on WCHC 88.1 FM. Don't have a radio? That's no problem. Our streams are also available online. Just check out the links in our Instagram bio, Twitter, Facebook, or just search WCHC 88.1 FM and you will have it then and there. Sounds good, Aiden. Great to be with you as always. To everyone who listened, thank you very much and we will see you same time next week. Go Celtics!